Welcome to the Ermi Podcast. I'm Joel Applebaum, Chief Content Officer for Ermi and Captive.com. And on today's podcast, we welcome Michael McGlaris to discuss the 2022 Supreme Court decision, Dobbs versus Jackson's Women Health, and that decision and its impact on captive insurance. Michael is the principal of Michael McGlaris and Company, an international insurance consulting firm specializing in providing insurance program consulting advice, including self-insurance and captive insurance company feasibility testing and other alternatives to traditional insurance programs for a variety of healthcare providers and other businesses. Michael has more than 35 years of healthcare liability insurance and consulting experience and has been involved in the formation of more than 145 captive insurance companies. Michael serves as an insurance consultant and risk management advisor to the integrated healthcare delivery systems, physicians groups, and other healthcare providers nationally. I'm stoked to have you here, Mike, to be honest. Please frame for us the Dobbs issue and how it relates to captive insurance in this world, and what is Dobbs, and why are we having the conversation in the context of captive insurance? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Joel, and thanks to the whole Ermi team. Dobbs, what is this thing? You know, it came out of nowhere, or so we think. June 24th, 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court, in a vote of six to three, overwhelmingly overturned a constitutional right to have an abortion. Essentially, the law, 1973, of course, which we all know, was overturned. That was Roe versus Wade and a subsequent ruling in 1992, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. They essentially threw the ball back to states. And we embarked, and yet again, Joel, and other states' rights issues like the Second Amendment and prayer in public schools, and the list goes on and on and on. What that effectively did was it overturned something that had started in Mississippi in 2018. The Mississippi legislature passed a law barring all abortions after 15 weeks, literally thumbing their nose at the U.S. ruling Roe versus Wade. The exception was severe fetal abnormality. There was no exception for rape or incest at all in that Mississippi law. And a women's reproductive health entity in Jackson, Mississippi, the state capital, sued called Jackson Women's Health. They prevailed in two lower court cases in 2018, 2009. But this thing, Joel, wound its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And when it did so, and it was finally heard on June 24, 2022, the entire landscape changed. Within moments, and I mean within moments, 13 states outlawed abortion entirely. Another three made it extremely restrictive for women to obtain abortions or abortive procedures using the two methods to obtain an abortion. And what do we have? We now have pretty much chaos in the abortion field and healthcare providers and healthcare providers with captives are beginning to feel the pinch of this law that passed literally, uh, you know, just about a year ago. So how might the outcome of this case impact the, the healthcare providers who offer the reproductive healthcare services and particularly those that rely on insurance coverage? I mean, I think that's really what we need to frame is, yeah, there's chaos out there, but what does it mean for people who rely on traditional insurance coverage and maybe frame it for how captives can be a solution. 
Well, captives. Let's talk about captives and healthcare liability. Let's focus on that for a moment, okay? Okay. As a practical matter, the top 150 healthcare facilities in the United States, these are acute care hospitals with beds and physicians and outpatient facilities. Every last one of them owns a captive insurance company. 60% of the members of the American Medical Association are insured by companies they own and control, including captives. So this is a captive-focused issue, Joel. That's, we should say that right from the get-go. It's extremely important. But let's okay. talk about medical malpractice, because that's kind of where we're going with this thing, and then liability in general. In the old days, if you paid a claim because of some bad outcome related to an abortive procedure, those medical malpractice claims paid by captives for the most part, right, fell into some predictable categories. There was the need to have an additional aspiration procedure to remove parts of a pregnancy that were still within in, in utero, and that was problematic. An aspiration pregnancy is literally a, a you know, mechanical device, a suction device is, is used to remove the pregnancy. There was womb damage sometimes through an abortive procedure, including heavy bleeding or damage to the cervix or sepsis. You could be sued for that. Pelvic inflammatory reaction, which is very difficult for women to go through and, and usually involves later in life an ectopic pregnancy, which can be extremely dangerous. And, of course, uterine perforation and bowel injuries. You would see medical malpractice claims come in against OBGYNs, against hospital facilities employing physicians, involving those kinds of abortion-related medical malpractice claims. Yeah, now, fortuitous losses, right? Well, it is sure, it is what it is, treating a patient. Yeah. But nobody's captive policy, and I mean nobody's captive policy, up until including the overturn of, of Roe v. Wade, nobody's captive policy anticipated criminal defense. Think about that. The idea that a physician performing an abortion in a state where it's legal could, in fact, face a criminal penalty in a state where it is not because that's where the woman resides. So all of a sudden, the landscape of medical professional liability has changed. We go from old-fashioned breaches in the standard of care, tort allegations, right, to the possibility of criminal defense. And we as consultants have been spending the last year drafting changes to policy language to add for the first time in a casualty policy criminal defense provisions to protect healthcare providers who are legally performing abortion procedures. Pretty scary. Yeah, an intentional tort, right? <clears throat> an intentional tort that in otherwise you know and I know and your certainly your listenership knows, intentional torts aren't covered in casualty policies. It's certainly not supposed to be. But mm -hmm. here we are going to be optionless, and I think that's part of what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the possibility of arrest. We're dealing with the possibility of extradition. And we're dealing with other issues that captives cover as well, such as domestic terrorism coverage. Many of the captives we consult with provide either a layer or, uh, you know, a significant primary or excess layer or reinsured layer of domestic terrorism coverage. We expect as the fallout from the Roe v. Wade overturn happens, uh, and, and as we restrict abortion uh, rights and reproductive rights, we expect heightened terrorism alerts in hospital facilities, particularly depending upon the outcome of the 24 elections. So there's a lot of stuff going on that, are, that is going to impact healthcare liability captives, physician-owned, hospital-owned captives, 
It's a kind of a new paradigm out there, Joel, and one I think we all have to be prepared for. Mm-hmm. I think I have a question for you. I'm just going to, I think, just to clarify it for our listeners, at the very basic, right, so you could have somebody crossing a state line from legal to illegal, right? This is the, the state chaos. Somebody who treats a patient and then they go back across the state lines, then that's where some of this criminal intent can come into play, right? And and in an intentional tort. But so even if we could craft the coverage for the captive to cover it, how does reinsurance play in this? How does some of the traditional pieces of captive insurance play related to providing these types of covers for domestic terrorism, for intentional torts, for criminal acts. Is it, are they going to participate in that? What's your suggestion and counsel well, I, to our listeners? Yeah, no, I, I doubt it. On April 19th of this year, I uh, addressed about 100 underwriters on the floor of Lloyd's in the Lloyd's Library. The topic of the 90 minutes was the Dobbs decision. I was invited by some Lloyd's underwriters to give them my thoughts about this, and many underwriters came up to me afterwards, and these are well-known people in the facultative hospital professional liability world, reinsurers, underwriters primarily, who said, I don't have any intention in participating in America's social problems. It's just not my game to do that. I'm here to provide reinsurance protection for old-fashioned hospital and physician, medical professional, and general liability insurance coverage. If you folks, and I'm literally quoting a well-known underwriter, if you folks can't get the 50 states together in a unified position on this issue, why would you expect Lloyd's to bail you out? And it's a good question. I think one of the important points, Joel, to follow up on, on your point, is let's follow what happens here. I'm a physician, and we're having a telemedicine encounter. I'm in Connecticut, where... The abortion, uh, the right to both a medical and a surgical abortion is absolutely clear. I'm rendering a service to you as a physician, and you're in Alabama, and you've contacted me because abortion is illegal in your state. I just put myself at risk. Why? Because the law is clear. The law that will obtain to this particular transaction is not the law where I'm cited in Connecticut. It's the law where you, the patient, reside, which is Alabama. Many of those telemedicine encounters are covered by policy forms insured by captives, provided by captives. Take another example. We've got a mid-Atlantic hospital system that has recently seen an influx of women seeking reproductive health from the South, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Idaho, other examples. And where the most amazing phenomenon is happening, Joel, which will be of interest to your readers, as that young person, pregnant person, shows up at that hospital facility in a state where abortion is legal, that someone is doing patient intake data. What's your name? What's your date of birth? What's your address? What is your insurance? Logical question, right? Mm-hmm. That woman is stopping at that point and literally saying to the intake person, what do you need to know my insurance for? And, and the intake person at hospital level is saying, well, we need to recover any of the charges that you'll incur as a result of the procedure you're going to be performing. And that woman is saying, does that mean my employer will find out that I've had an abortion? Or I'm a Medicaid recipient. And does that mean that the state of Alabama or Mississippi or Texas is going to find out 
that as a Medicaid recipient, I came here to get an abortion. And then we get into the discussion of what does an abortion cost if you've got a visa card and you're a self-pay. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with healthcare risk managers, all of which own captives, where the self-pay issue has arisen because all of a sudden a woman has realized that this confidential reproductive health encounter won't remain confidential because of insurance considerations. Again, pretty scary. So I've got privacy issues, Joel. I've got potential terrorism issues. I've got intentional tort issues, right? I've got venue of law issues. It's pretty scary. And U.S. healthcare systems are, you know, seeking guidance about privacy and about medical records and about other issues now as we begin to face the rollout and the fallout from Dobbs. Mike, one of the things I've heard from some pretty wise people in insurance is that we can't wait for government to fix our system. We've got to lead and start figuring out solutions. So I'm wondering, are there specific recommendations or strategies you might suggest for captive insurance companies in the healthcare field to adapt to this potential shifts in reproductive rights and risks that they're facing? And what are the top things they should be thinking about and doing now? If I could, I would start at the captive annual meeting board level. Uh, Captive boards of directors need to be educated about Dobbs and its fallout. Nobody is immune. And so the usual captive board meeting, Joel, where you talk about a little bit about underwriting and a lot about investment and, you know, claims and other issues, add a Dobbs section of risk management education to that agenda. Make sure, first of all and foremost, that captive directors understand the depth and profoundness of this risk and the relevancy to your own institution. That's number one. Number two, I don't know of any risk now that is going to require more collaboration within a healthcare system or physician practice than the Dobbs issue. This is all about the medical record. It's all about privacy and compliance. It's all about whether or not reinsurers will help us or they won't. It's all about captive underwriting. It's all about captive accounting. This problem will be a collaborative solution. The best advice is for Healthcare liability risk managers, the, the, the VPs of risk management, of enterprise risk management within healthcare systems that effectively make captives run. It's for them to be completely aware of the collaborative nature of fixing this problem and anticipating from a legal and from an underwriting and risk perspective where the landmines are. Get a good legal opinion from your, uh, you know, from your outside counsel of your captive about the fallout of Dobbs and the impact it will have on that captive and on its underwriting program. And cover all of your bases, because there are many, many bases. I'll give you a prime example. Every day of the week, hospitals are sued. We know that, Joel, it's it's a fact of life. I've had a risk manager in uh, who just recently, in the past three weeks, instituted a program to actually look from subpoenas that emanate from out of state. Why would they do that? You only do it for one reason. It's called Dobbs. Yeah. So get the gang together, mitigate your risk, give the board of the captive some direction and education about what the risks are, and prepare your institution for potential fallout that, heaven help us, doesn't come, but that doesn't mean we're not prepared for it. Right. I mean, I think we've looked at other healthcare crises in the past. I know you've written some and done some great thought leader things for captive.com on 
women's reproductive rights. And we've looked at in the past captives becoming a a solution, right? This was when just delivering babies was a problem a back in the eighties. Yeah, we, we call it here a force for good. Right. right. And so I want to talk about being a force for good at this very moment in time. So looking ahead, how do you foresee the future of healthcare captive insurers evolving in response to the Dobbs decision and other emerging trends in the industry? How do we how do we become that force for good starting today and planning for next year and, and the year after that? I think we continue to do what we've been doing all along before Dobbs hit. And I spend my life inside healthcare institutions dealing with administrators and healthcare professionals and physicians and extenders and others. I've never met one yet who walked into work at any given day of the week with the intention of doing harm to a patient. These people are dedicated, they're good, they're smart, and they're facing many, many challenges, not the least of which, and, and this is very important for your, your listeners, not the least of which is the advent of artificial intelligence in the use of diagnostics. Increasingly, physicians will be beleaguered by the forced use of artificial intelligence to help them rapidly come to a conclusion about diagnostic and, and medical record issues. It's a challenge. The, the thing that my healthcare providers don't need is yet another challenge, Joe, you know, <laughs> and this is potentially it. But the one thing I'm confident of, because I've seen it happen again and again, is that captives writing healthcare professional liabilities, serving healthcare providers, physicians, hospital systems, and others are so innovative at what they do that I expect them to innovate their way out of Dobbs through maintaining strong balance sheets, through maintaining strong policy wordings, and through agreeing in advance to get the message out to their medical staff that their medical staff will be protected against criminal prosecution. That's a key element. If you're, if you don't have your physicians back, you lose your healthcare system. And so captives need to be robust uh, about getting, getting that message out. Captives saved obstetrics in 2001, 2002, 2003, after St. Paul announced that it was going to exit the medical malpractice business. It was captives that allowed OBGYNs, both in private practice and in employment, to continue to deliver babies safely in this country. We have, we've done it before. We've, we've helped reproductive health before in captives. We're about ready to do it, do it again, uh, I think, with Dobbs. And the message is clear. Stay true to your course. Innovate. Keep your balance sheet strong. Make sure your board understands the implications and be vigilant about the future as we go through unsettling times. I'm extremely sanguine, extremely optimistic about the future of healthcare liability captives. Why? Because all I've seen through my rearview mirror is decades of innovation, and I expect to continue to see that innovation in the future. Yeah, that's great. I think that's exactly the advice that we need. And uh, history can be a great predictor of the future, right? So right. I think that's what we we need to do is be a force for good. So, Michael, is, are there any last parting comments here or suggestions you'd like to make? You've been a, a great sponsor of Captive.com over the years and a, a fantastic educator. What advice would you give our listeners? Well, thank you for that. It's actually a pleasure to be associated with Ermey and with Captive.com because you guys manage to get the truth out in great readable stories all the time. We, we are very robust supporters of Captive.com. 
I would leave your listeners with one personal thought. It's a personal reflection that I hope will permit me. Every time a woman is seen for perinatal care, pre-birth, post-birth, she receives something uh, of a medical workup. There's a bit of a history in physical. Her pulse is taken, her blood pressure, comorbidities are noted. She's seen by a healthcare provider. Any attempt to restrict a woman's reproductive health restricts women's rights to receive health care. Period, paragraph, end of story. Captives can go a long way to making certain that the providers that provide health care services, reproductive health care services to women, enable those women to have safe births and enable mother and child to prosper. And if we do that in the captive business, then we have succeeded, Joel. Great. Fantastic advice. Mike, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. And listeners, if you like this podcast, you can get more podcasts just like this at captive.com. Thank you. Thanks. Great to be with you, Joel. Goodbye.